Welcome back to another episode of Authentic Influence. I'm your host, Adam Connor. On today's show, we learn more about your dog specifically. I'm on with a company called Embark. More on that in a second. If you're new to the show, welcome. It's a show where we talk to some of the most interesting brands out there about how to mobilize their masses to become more authentic. Today, those masses are dog owners. And specifically, what Embark is doing in the world of pet healthcare is making dogs' owners' lives a lot easier with regard to uh, health and nutrition, specifically things to look out for, but also ways to optimize care. Ryan's an interesting founder. He had a passion for data in this space, which resulted in creating this consumer-facing brand, and he tells that story on the show. But he also shares a couple stories of those dogs and their owners whose lives were vastly improved via what Embark brings to market. And of course, at the end, we get some pretty detailed advice on how to optimize to create more authentic brands. But I was really interested about this because I've talked a little bit in the pet space before. You'll have heard Petco and Bark and a couple of others we've had, but I haven't really gotten into pet healthcare. So I thought that was particularly interesting. Anyway, I'll sit back and let you hear it too. This is our interview from today with, from Embark, Ryan Boyko. All right, everybody, I am here with Ryan Boyko, the CEO and founder of Embark. Ryan, thank you so much for joining the show today. How are you? Thank you for having me on. I'm doing really well. Um, how are you doing? Oh, just doing fine. Just just sticking here inside. Kind of wishing I had a pet, honestly. You know, I don't have one. I uh, never had. Well, I had a fish when I was a kid. But I uh, certainly don't have a, a, an animal that, uh, that you all help out. And I want to first off here, as a, a matter of clarification or education for our listeners, have you describe just a, a little bit what Embark is all about. So can we start there? Sure. Um, so Embark is really the way that I'm trying to give back to, to dogs um, and everyone who loves them. So Embark is a kind of a 23andMe for dogs. It's um, a tool that looks at a dog's genetics and you know gets their breed, their health information, traits, and helps an owner, a veterinarian, or a breeder not only know more about their dog and that their dog's past, but also gives them a roadmap for their future care. So we look at almost 200 health conditions um, and, and can help owners really provide the best care to, to help extend their dog's healthy life, um, as well as, you know, filling in the, the, their past uh, with the breed information. Um, and then we also take all of that information and we use it for research, which is really my passion, my background. Um, and so we built the largest database of dog genetic and health information in the world. And we have a team of scientists who are using it to make breakthroughs to be able to improve dogs' lives in the future as well. Interesting. So this was born from, and let, let me let me give me a little bit of rope here, but it seems like uh, this started out as a quest for getting that data and information and from it stemmed this sort of consumer-facing business. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, that is very fair to say. Um, you know, I have a, a background in um, public health, uh, biology, and, and computer science, and I actually spent a lot of my younger life traveling around the globe doing field research, which I absolutely loved. Um, and I had an opportunity to start a research project with my brother, Adam, collecting genetic and health data on, on dogs from around the world. Um, and, you know, when you actually look at 
the value of this kind of data in order to answer health problems, you really need hundreds of thousands of samples before you can really reach uh, the full potential where you can start understanding diseases like cancer and things like that that are complex genetically, but really important for health. And so at the beginning, um, Adam is a professor at the Cornell School, a college of veterinary medicine. And, you know, we had gotten some small grants that helped us collect samples here and there. We'd worked with the veterinary hospital at Cornell that also got some samples. But at the end of the day, um, none of the, no private foundation or government entity really wanted to devote the kind of money that was going into human genetics where you really could build hundreds of thousands or millions of samples. You know, we could get maybe a few thousand. So as we looked at, at what was happening on the, on the human side and, and 23andMe's success um, and, you know, thought about this problem and also thought about, you know, how we'd, we had reached a point in understanding where there was a lot that we could give people today. Um, and, and so the idea of being able to, instead of going out and collecting the samples, essentially having the samples come to us <laughs> from people who, who valued the information we could tell them today you know, really was a, a no brainer at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, I didn't even think about it like that. Um, what an innovative way to create a consumer facing brand. You know, that's really interesting. And I talked to founders on this show a fair bit more recently. Um, I've had more of them on. That is a, uh, that's just, I've never heard something like that, but okay. So, okay. So let me, let me, let me get this straight. So this is all, um, to build this like incredible database of health-related information. Now, on the other side, of course, there's uh, there's real, there, there's potentially like these owners who who are none the wiser who just want to figure out like what kind of breed or what kind of health issues their their dog might have. Um, so, I guess in terms of like how you go to market with them and how and sort of the qualities that you hope to instill in those folks who are leveraging your services. Uh, how, how do you go to market in that way? What are some of the ways that you in, instill principles in your team to have them go and sort of evangelize the world of this, um, yeah. which, you know, is, is the, is the outer shell to the, to the core of what you're, of what you were originally after? Yeah. Um, and I just want to be very clear that uh, when somebody is, is signing up, uh, they can choose whether or not they want their dog to participate in, in the research or not. Um, mm, you know, okay. and of course, they are in, you know, it's up to them to decide to, to give us information about their dog or not. So just, just to be clear, um, you know, nobody is getting uh, hoodwinked into giving us, uh, you know, information. But the fact of the matter is, um, for many dog owners, um, it's an inherently both a social and a social good um, you know, you have movements like the Adopt Own Shop movement um, that are really driven by um, this, I would call it a unique relationship that humans and dogs have. You know, they were the first domesticated animal. And, and I, I, to many people, I don't think it even totally makes sense of what does it mean to be human without thinking about our relationship to dogs. And so I think actually for a large number of people, the idea that they could contribute to improving the welfare of dogs it generally resonates very well, actually. Um, 
but of course we we are also a consumer good you know we're selling them a service to tell them about their dog and and so you know you have a gamut of people um some of whom are very interested in in our mission and that greater good but at the end of the day everybody does want to know well what am i getting right now and so it is a little bit of a a line to walk um because you know in 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 a take a facebook ad right you don't have space to to even tell people what your mission is make them believe that you actually are working to that and why they want to do it right you know they're in in that kind of context it's what are you going to do for me right what problem of mine am i going to solve are you going to solve and and so i think we have a couple of of ways that we we do that um and it, it really goes to knowing your dog's past and knowing something of your dog's future um most people who have dogs think of them as a member of the family and for the vast majority of those people it's the only member of the family that you don't know their past really at all and and so there's this need for knowing that people have um they just you know they they love this being and they just want to know where they were from and in almost the same kind of way you want to know where where you're from i mean does it matter if you can tie your lineage back to king richard probably not but you want to like a lot of people want to know right it's it's interesting um with dogs not only do you not know any of that so there's all of that but also it that even the breed as well as these health information affects the future so you know uh, almost everybody who owns a dog everybody who owns a dog you know wants that dog to be to be healthy with them as long as possible and so the the cha- challenge there is just being able to explain to people how what we're doing can help their dog and it's it is hard to translate we're going to test for 200 things to what does that mean for my dog um so that is, that is a challenge um but also the breed information you know can be very useful for knowing getting ideas about what kind of of training might help with behavior you know and and knowing um in many cases even for the diseases we can't test for what to, your vet should be on the lookout for as they get older because if just like with people if you catch something earlier usually the prognosis is better so we kind of balance this curiosity and and a lot of people start with this curiosity i mean if if you have a healthy dog sitting in front of you your natural thought is more about you know the curiosity angle right where where are you from what breeds do you have you know that's the number one question a mixed breed dog owner gets you know what breeds are in that dog um but then we help them help explain to them also how this health information matters for them and ultimately how doing this will also help into the future. Yeah, and you pointed something out there that is um of course uh, obvious for humans and obviously should should extend to dogs which is that if you can catch something early um then you have a much better chance of uh, of solving whatever the they the problem is or uh, you know and, and generally improving that dog's life which i think probably improves your life or it definitely does uh, even as a non-owner yep. i know that um yep f- my guess then is that uh we probably have plenty of stories of people who took advantage of your services and found something or 
uh, you know, maybe it's just that they learned more and they optimized their dog's, you know, nutrition or something, you know, whatever that result was. Plenty of stories there. Um, you have a couple that come to mind that were like sort of solidified to you, like, yes, this is this is for this is for the the, the greater good of the health of the dog. Uh, and, and look at the lives that I'm changing here. I mean, there are a couple things that come to mind when I uh, when I ask you for that. Yeah, um, I mean, there's the the stories are are sometimes amazing. Um, you know, we have uh, there there's one that we got a couple months ago. Um, a dog we had tested uh, because the owner was interested in what breeds the dog uh, had, but um, but we actually found that the dog had a form of hemophilia, and um, you know the, the year or two after the dog was tested, um, another dog who was out loose um, actually attacked the dog and bit the dog, and um, because of that knowledge, they actually went to a specialist uh, veterinarian because their veterinarian didn't have blood to transfuse. And, um, you know, so the, the, the vet actually treating them, he, the dog ultimately needed four units of blood. And the vet treating them said, you know, the, the dog probably would not have survived um, if you hadn't taken in them directly to a, a vet that had the blood available. But wow. knowing that, you know, helped, helped in that case. Right. Interesting. So, you know, that, and that's a highly dramatic story. These are the kind of things where, um, you're right. Then they never would have known. And something which like, I don't know know how routine dog attack on another dog is, but you know, certainly given that underlying condition, what could have been a much more severe result from a a seemingly not so serious Genesis becomes a a non, a non-issue because they knew thanks to you. Um, you have hundreds of thousands of stories like this, I'm guessing. No, not exactly like that, but, uh, you know, tangential to it. Yep. Um, I mean, we also get, you know, there are ones um, where, you know, we had somebody who wrote who was like, I was about ready to take my dog back to the shelter. So the number one reason for dogs to be returned to the shelter are, is behavioral issues. And, you know, they said the dog was off the wall, you know, tearing apart their curtains, those kinds of things. And they had run a test with us as a last resort. And they, you know, we found that the dog was uh, something like half Australian cattle dog. And, you know, if you don't know them, they're very energetic and herding dogs. And they really need both physical and mental stimulation. But when, once they had that name, they actually started looking uh, on the internet and they found a ranch that was, five or 10 miles from their house that actually took dogs and taught them how to herd. And they just send the dog there twice a week now. And they're like, the dog's perfect. You know, if dog gets the stimulation it needs and at home now it's well behaved. Um, so, you know, that's another way of, of helping. Yeah. Well, I guess it's good. You don't have, you know, <laughs> you don't have your chow there herding the drapes. Um, (laughs) makes for a, makes for a better life at home. That's always good. Uh, well, yeah, on the other side, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a real happy story there. And, um, it sounds like also then, um, is there some element to this, which is keeping dogs from going back to a shelter or having to be, 
sort of corralled in those what some people might describe as more inhumane ways? Or uh, is there some element yep. to that that this is providing a, a byproduct of? Yeah, that's and actually we've been focused on that uh, to a large extent over the last couple months. So, as some of your listeners may know, there from all of the media stories about it. In many ways, right now is a really great time to be a, a dog that had been in a shelter because um, many people have adopted dogs over the last couple months with the stay-at-home orders uh, related to COVID. And, and so there's been stories posted, images posted of shelters empty, that kind of thing. Though Those shelters, the rescue organizations, are really worried what happens when the stay-at-home orders are lifted, people go back to work. And dogs that have been used to having their humans around 24-7 now maybe have to spend much of a day alone, get less exercise, get less stimulation. Um, and especially it's, you know, especially worrisome if when you have more first-time new owners who haven't had to deal with a dog in those situations before. And so we've actually partnered with a few dog trainers um, who haven't, you know, been able to do in-person trainings. So they've also been looking for, for ways to, to continue their businesses. Um, but we've been able to partner with them to offer online class, classes for new dog owners um, who, <clears throat> who can take those classes to, to learn how to set their dog up now for success when they go back to work. Um, and so, you know, our hope is that that's one small way we can help both the, the dog trainers who are out of work right now, and as well as helping the dogs and the shelters ultimately in the long run. Right. Exactly. Well, let me ask about how you guys are using these, these, these stories and these benefits. I mean, how are you able to turn them out into the market, perhaps using the stories of these specific dogs that you mentioned or, uh, or their owners to help to spread to the masses how important this is as and i would say you know how how necessary that it is how how maybe because what my guess is is that you you envision a world where pet owners who are getting their dogs the proper shots are also doing this test as a as a as a requirement for like proper care and and you know in a future state even humane care like if you're not doing it like you're doing you're doing your dog a disservice um Obviously, that being a future state, what are some of the ways right now in which you're taking these stories of either the dramatic or the wholesome and pushing them out into the community such that it's a, it's an encouragement to to sort of tack on the, the services that you're providing? Yeah. So when we started up, we launched very much direct to consumer online. We got lucky, actually, in being able to launch on the Today Show. Um, so that helped to get some generate some word of mouth initially. Um, you know, our vision was always to, to that this should be something that becomes part of the standard of care, as you say. Um, but we also knew that there was enough interest, or we we believed there was enough interest. Now we know <laughs> to 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 help build it up, um, kind of from the the ground up this way. Um, but now we are looking at at other ways to expand access some of that is you know an increasing amount of shelter partnerships and and we look at how we can work with that community more we work with um ethical dog breeders 
So um, the number one, the, the moment in a dog's life or really any organism's life that you can have the most impact on their genetic health is the moment you pick the parents, right? <laughs> Ultimately, you're starting with a canvas and being able to pick a canvas that's uh, probably healthier is um, is the best way to help, right? Rather than an ounce of prevention, right? Um, so we work with, with dog breeders and there's many ways we, we talk to that community from going to events and doing, um, you know, Facebook live events with different breed clubs and, and groups of breeders. Uh, they're, they're, that community is very big in Facebook. Um, so it's really effective when, especially when you combine it with some in-person events so that people can attach a, a face and, and, you know, that, that level of empathy with you. Um, and, you know, and, and we're looking at ways now. Um, in fact, we, we had some plans. They've been a little bit scrambled up with the COVID situation, but we'll get back on track, um, you know, to, to start partnering more with, with actual veterinarians, too, so that we can really get um, into clinics and really start to turn the tide in becoming that standard of care. Well, that's great to hear and glad that you're using those stories for good in that way. Um, if I might, uh, well, I'd like, I'd like to round out the conversation with a little bit of advice, especially from somebody who's a, who's a founder. Again, I get this, I get this uh, opportunity a few times, but basically just a, a, advice on how to build a better or more authentic brand. And I think this might be unique coming from you because, uh, uh, again, you, you, this seems to have been sort of like a, a cascading effect from the initial desire, which was like, man, I really like this data, but now you have found something with much, uh, with with a with this incredible purpose, um, and one that touches hundreds of thousands of lives. So I'm curious to know from you and for our listeners who are largely brand builders and perhaps aspiring founders, but generally people who emulate the journeys of those who appear on this show. What advice you might have to them on how to build more authentic brands in this way? Uh, yeah. So. You know, at one level, true authenticity does start somewhere inside, right? With what are you actually interested in? What are you passionate about? So there's no one formula, one thing to say about how how to be authentic, right? It's it's a little bit <laughs> be your, you know, it's a little bit of that be yourself. Of what what is driving you? Because it is extremely hard to start a business or or start any large endeavor that is going to take years and convincing dozens or hundreds of people to take the journey with you and, and ultimately maybe millions of people to, to buy into it. And so you can't hack that, you know, you have to have those interests. And, and to some extent, my journey, I think is, is somewhat unique in its own way. And, and many of the other founders stories I've heard are, um, but I think one thread that goes, goes through it. And, and one thing that, I, um, you know, that, that comes from my story is really, you know, you first you find, figure out what works and, and then work on scaling it. And so I didn't know when I started this research initially from an academic sense, what, you know, what I was doing, but I thankfully was able to find a home in academia that gave me enough time to figure out and iron out a lot of a lot of things, not ironing out our graphics for Embark or something like that, 
but ironing out at the end of the day, what was important to achieve the goals I wanted to achieve in terms of making a difference in dogs' lives. And so by the time I, I actually started the company and started pitching this to investors, I had a pretty good sense of what I needed in, and what I could achieve given, you know, wherever I got. And I could sell that story because it was authentic. Um, and, you know, and then after that, this is, I, I don't know how to say this in a way that doesn't come across as trite, but having genuine empathy and care for your customers, um, you know, it matters all the way through business and it matters a ton at the beginning because you're, you're learning so much about your customers right at the beginning. And, and I spent probably, I did this for probably too long, but I answered most of our customer service tickets for, for probably a year and a half um, when we started and was intimately involved in, in customer interactions as well as how that went into the product. And it, and it really made a difference because um, I was feeling the pain when things weren't working and people listened to me as a CEO <laughs> about what to do to fix it. And we actually improved the product uh, quickly and um, over that, that beginning. And I, and I continue now to read, um, we use Ask Nicely um, to look for NPS. And I found that to be a, a wonderful tool for me um, where I can uh, continue to read those. I can skim those uh, every morning and, and get a sense quickly for what, you know, if there's any trends happening, you know, when we put out a new feature or when we change something, you know, I get a sense for that far faster than I would if I was waiting for other people to, for it to become bad enough that somebody else wanted to take it to me or, or for that matter, good enough that somebody, you know, cause I'll, I'll, it's not just fixing bad things. A lot of the time it's, you get positive comments about the same thing over and over again. And, and it leads you to say, what can I do to enhance it and expand this? Right. It's, it's every bit as much find finding opportunities as it is shutting off um, things that aren't working. Right. Exactly. It's a good way to optimize, of course. <laughs> and um, well, I, this has been fascinating. I, uh, I gotta be honest coming in, especially not having a dog, but um, I didn't really know anything about the, uh, about the whole vet world. So to be able to, to hear the stories of some folks whose pets' lives were vastly improved and their lives being vastly improved as well and how you were able to found this company through a passion and hunger for data and how you use that now uh, uh, for good to improve lives all over the place. I, I really appreciate uh, the insight and stories you've provided here, uh, Ryan. So thanks very much for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Adam. Thank you so much to Ryan Boyko for coming on the show today from Embark. You all listeners know it's just another feather in my cap in the constant quest to get a dog. So thanks for that. If you liked this show, here's what you can do. Check us out in a number of places. First, we got a website, podcast.vavoom.co. That's where you can see all of our episodes to date. 
and you can listen back all the way to the very beginning about 18 or 19 months ago. So if you're just tuning in, you got plenty of content to go through. You can also check us out on LinkedIn. We have a showcase page there, Authentic Influence Podcast, through which you'll see those shows as well as other pieces of press and news about events which are upcoming. I promise they are. And it's generally just a good spot to be following as well as me, Adam Connor on LinkedIn. Reach out, connect, send me a message. Let me know what you think about the show and let me know how I could change it or who you would recommend me having on next. I am hungry for that sort of information. So feed it to me. I'll be back again real soon with another fantastic show about how a brand is mobilizing its masses to become more authentic. And until then, for Authentic Influence, I've been your host, Adam Connor, and you'll hear from me again next time.